when you were installed as the associate pastor at McElwain. Now, you had served as the assistant for, what, 32 years? It felt like a good, long season. It was a good, long season. And when he became the associate pastor, it was a blessing. These words have not changed. And that's, of course, why it is so important for us to hear them again today. The sermon is directed in the text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, from Paul to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor at Ephesus. But as is always the case, the words that are directed to him are directed to all who would sit underneath his ministry. And so the imperatives that come to Timothy here, and it is a strong imperative, have a corollary to those who sit under him, the one who gives those imperatives from the word himself. And so this sermon is for Dennis, the sermon is for the congregation here at Chattanooga Valley, and for all who would sit under his ministry, because his charge is to preach the word. But in it, he must keep his head. And there's only one way for that to happen. To avail yourself fully of the grace of God. He is faithful and he will do it. In our church at McElwain, whenever we open the word of God, we have a tradition that is derived from what happened when the exiles came back from Babylon into Jerusalem, having not had worship at the temple or in Jerusalem uh, for so many years, generations. And so when Ezra the scribe opened up the law on a platform that had been built for that, and the people gathered around, they all stood instinctively. It was out of respect, but it was also out of anticipation to hear the law read after all this time. They were listening for God. What an amazing thing. So we would stand out of reverence, honor, but anticipation. So let me ask you to please stand in honor, reverence, but in anticipation of hearing God, because this word is holy and inerrant, so please pay careful attention. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Spirit, these words were spoken by your providence, written from Paul to his dear son Timothy. But you, Holy Spirit, inspired them. You have preserved them. Through the years, you have applied them to your people. We ask that you would do the same. Without your illumination, we will not hear. Without that empowerment, the word will not be preached. But because it is your charge, you have designed it to come with power and to be received with humility, expectation, and excitement, and the transformation that comes with it by your grace through Jesus Christ. And so we ask for that here and evermore until the Lord Jesus appears. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated.
there's a real fascination throughout history. You can see it a lot on the internet now with famous people's last words, either because of the potential irony of their words after their lives and what may follow, or because of the inevitable approaching final reality to see what might happen as they fear or don't fear what may be waiting. Karl Marx is purported to have said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Or perhaps I would add, maybe who said too much. But last words, a last will and testament to be charged by someone in the perception that this is a brief time left to them, that's a sobering thing to think of. Most scholars believe, and I think rightly so, that 2 Timothy is Paul's final charge. It's a record of his last written words, his last urging to Timothy, and through Timothy to those in Ephesus underneath his ministry. And through the years, perhaps even Paul already had that awareness to all who would preach the word and all who would receive the word preached. And so there is urgency here. You can hear it, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Timothy's knees ought to be knocking already. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Dennis, preach the word. Congregation of the Lord, receive the word preached. Why? Well, let's state the obvious, because it's the word. It's God's word. He has been charged, Timothy, I have, Dennis, all who have been so called by God to preach the word. This comes right on the heels of this, this assessment in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, that the word of God is living and active. What he says is it's God-breathed. Look at that back at verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so it makes sense that then on the heels of that he would say, this is what you preach. This is what you preach and nothing else. It is the, the good deposit of chapter 1 that he speaks of, that which has been given to him, entrusted to him to guard, guard the good deposit, the word of truth. It is the scripture and not Timothy's opinion of it, nor of his own assessment of the current cultural situation, nor the grinding of his own personal axes that Timothy is to proclaim. He must preach what he has received to preach, and what he has received is God's very word. Dennis, preach the word. People of God, receive humble hearts, teachable hearts, the word preached. How many people are listening to messages this morning about the saving the planet from global warming? 
or saving America from liberals or being told to forget, forgive themselves and stop thinking of themselves as sinners. That's not the word. How many people are sitting in under so-called preaching that commands that they perform, that they walk, that they talk and obey in order to gain God's favor? How many are being told that they have to clean up before Jesus will accept them? That's not the word. In every case, it's not the preaching of the word that is taking place, but the deadly ideas of men. What Paul calls in verse 16 of chapter 2, irreverent babble. It's powerless. It is worth nothing. It's solemn enough to consider that as a preacher, one has been given God's word to claim, but it gets even heavier because God has charged Timothy to preach. Preach the word. Why? God himself. Now, this is one of those moments where we go, well, duh, I mean, it is God's word. So it's God charging him. Put it in its context of this charge. The word I charge you in the Greek really is one word. It has the force of a legal adjuration. It's used to refer to a testimony under oath, much like when one takes an oath, putting their hand on the Bible. Solemnity, profundity. It's not messing around. Only here Paul tells Timothy that they are, as it were, in the very presence of the one giving the charge. A reality so present that it is really not Paul, but it's God himself who's making the charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Timothy is standing before the holy court of God himself and being charged by its most solemn oath to carry out its most critical order. Preach the word. What an awesome charge awesome setting how could one fail to be moved by such a profound and weighty reality as this but we are failed to be moved so often we get so familiar with our task oh i gotta preach we don't stop step back and take the gasp that we ought to take to realize that what is in our hands is the very voice and authority of god and Dennis, it's your responsibility to preach it. I'll never forget one Sunday morning years ago as I was getting ready to preach. It had been a night where I struggled with the text all through the week. At the night, I couldn't really get the text down in a way that I felt was, was, was really breathing it out. I knew what it said, but I just was stymied at every turn. And so I finally went to bed, and I thought, let's just go to church. Let's just get it over. I got in the back room where we would gather to pray, and I looked at one of my elders, and I said, whose crazy idea was it for me to do something like this? I am so unprepared. And he looked at me, and he said, God's. And I went, okay. I'd like to say that I walked into the pulpit, figuratively pulled off my jacket, and just lightning went out from my fingertips. But I lumbered through it, glad when it was over, did the benediction walking out thinking, oh, at least there's football on this afternoon. And somebody came up to me and said, that was the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And I wanted to say, so, so you were streaming something else? It's the word of God. God says, 
I charge you, preach it. It will do what you cannot imagine because I have ordained it to do that. More about that in a minute. But it gets even better than this. Preach the word because it's the word of God. Preach it because it's God who has ordained and charged, but because Jesus is coming back. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing. How often do we really think about Jesus coming back? You know, we see these things on the internet, all these things that talk about the signs of the times, and people get caught up in, oh, the signs are just right, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and you, by the way, we're not going to know when it's going to happen. He said so, but he's coming back. When Jesus returns, he will be returning as the judge of all men. Listen to Romans 14 and 11. Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's, he's saying, Timothy, Jesus is coming back. And you're going to stand before him. Dennis, Rob, all who preach. It's all Christians. And sometimes we think, well, Christians aren't going to go through the judgment. It's not going to be that bad because Jesus died for us, right? We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for every, every word. The scriptures teach us that this is going to happen. We will be judged. But wait a minute. Isn't the judgment already rendered not guilty in the gospel? We're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Yes. And I believe that when we stand before God, and Dennis, when you stand before God and I stand before God, we're going to see, maybe in an instant, I don't know, we have an eternity, so maybe we'll see the whole thing. The horrible reel of those careless words, even careless thoughts that didn't make it into words. Words that I thought in the pulpit. You have even thought in the pulpit. I think it will be at that moment that we will finally, at last, with every mouth stopped, understand the gospel. Because all we will be able to plead is the mercy of God in Christ. Everything laid out, those who are not in Christ will bear the burden of that judgment. It will destroy them. We will see that judgment and we will be able to plead that Christ bore that judgment. And perhaps the tears that Revelation 21 speaks of that he will wipe away are the tears of our sorrow and the tears of our joy mingled together that though it is true we ought to have been swept away, we are not. We were swept away. Grace of God in Christ. Preach the word and receive the word preached. That's the image that he intends to press on Timothy because of Jesus' return so that he can know the urgency of it. Not because he, he thinks Jesus is going to come back one day unannounced in the next few weeks, but because it is an urgent message and it's an urgent reality, a spiritual reality. It is warfare. And so he adds to that, because of the kingdom, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, what is he talking about? What is the kingdom of God? 
Is it the eternal reality that will be set up at Christ's return for the eternal state? Or is it something present? Well, you know, commentators debate about that. And so the answer, of course, is yes. Jesus will set up his eternal kingdom on this earth. And we will reign with him. But he is reigning even now, and he is spreading his kingdom now. What did he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against its advance. Remembering that that image is not this idea uh, of, of hell attacking the church and us shutting it, our gates and they can't get in. It's us, the church, by the power of the preached word, the gospel of transformation, advancing in the world upon the gates of hell, and its gates cannot stand it. And they will fall and be crushed at the appearance of his kingdom. Now, Paul isn't telling Timothy that if he doesn't preach the word, he is preventing God from expanding his kingdom. God is sovereign, and he builds his kingdom in spite of us. But what he is saying is that if Timothy does not preach the word, he will be guilty of working against the kingdom. He'll be not with the Lord, but against the Lord. God's work will not be restrained. But how tragic to think that a man called to preach the gospel of the kingdom, in fact, doesn't. But blessed is the one who faithfully preaches, believing that by such preaching of the word of God, that the ordained kingdom will spread. And blessed are those who receive that word, believing it, knowing that Jesus is reigning now, and even through their ministry, expanding his kingdom on earth. I'm not saying there's going to be a utopia before Jesus comes. But I am saying this. If hearts will be broken and healed, Dead sinners become live saints. Relationships that have been broken will be healed. And the great sense of guilt before God that all of us have when our eyes have been opened by the Spirit is removed. And Jesus reigns through it all. Dennis preached the word because of his kingdom. People of God, receive it because you are the kingdom of God as the gospel breaks forth within you and he scatters us so that he may spread his kingdom. Power, profundity of the charge is, is just overwhelming. Preach the word because it is God's word. Preach the word because God has charged you. Preach the word because Jesus the judge is coming back. He'll demand an account. Preach the word because by that one act God has promised to bring his kingdom. Now, time prevents me from doing much more than giving a quick summary of the when and how of preaching the word. So over the next 45 minutes, let me say this. When must you preach the word? And when must you receive? That was a joke, by the way. You, when will you receive the word? Well, look at the passage. Preach the word, verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word when it is convenient. This is a convenient opportunity. It's Sunday morning. Everyone is gathered. Everyone is ready to hear the word, or at least under the pretense of hearing the word. And so it's a convenient opportunity. But preach the word when it is inconvenient. You know, of course, Dennis, that the word to preach here means to herald. And heralds are not always appreciated because they sometimes bring news that is irritating. And sometimes, of course, people will say, okay, preacher, you've gone off to preaching and on to meddling. 
and sometimes it's inconvenient. Inconvenient truths are sometimes the most powerful and transformative truths. It is inconvenient to know that we are sinners who resist being taught because we think we know everything. But it's an important truth. And even though it may be uncomfortable and difficult to preach, even though it might be a time in our culture where the word of God is unpopular or seems harsh, preach the word. How much to preach the word? The remainder of verse 2 is packed with so much important information. You, you, you preach the word, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You preach the word with specific application. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, I'm going to focus on exhort. We can call the first two basically uh, sort of the negative reality when you reprove someone or, or you rebuke them for their sin. But the exhortation is important here. We might call these others, like I say, negative, but this positive aspect of exhortation is which the preacher brings the good news of God's grace to the perceived bad news of the reproval or the rebuke. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and there's no greater friend than the Word of God. Wounds us and heals us. I'll never forget Brian Chapel telling us in our preparation and delivery of sermons class. You must open a wound. And the word of God will open wounds. But you must always provide a healing. And the word of God and the grace of Christ is that healing. Even if the pain persists, the healing is real and will be fulfilled one day in that kingdom in which there is no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying. Secondly, Paul tells Timothy in verse 2 to preach, teach with complete patience. The phrase literally is all patience. Why? Verses 3 and 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People will say, isn't it wonderful we have so many PCA churches? This is one of the reasons why we have so many PCA churches. It's because often presbyteries don't have the guts to tell a plant no, you can't form a new church. You're sinning. Repent. You can't leave that church. Dentists, preach the word. Congregation of the Lord, receive the word preached. And if it gets in your britches, ask, should it have gotten in my britches? Or do I really need to go look for someone who says it the way I'd like to hear it? Paul warns Timothy that the tendency of people is not to sit under faithful and unfolding of the word, but instead to listen mainly to what suits their passions. They have pet ideas and pet issues, and that's what they want to hear. All of us do. We like it whenever a preacher gets on to those things, but sometimes it goes to seed and becomes an idol, and that's all we ever want to hear. Preach about, about uh, Congress not being faithful. Preach about America being lost. That is... To the Constitution's demise. Preach about social justice. Preach about global warming. All those things the Bible touches on. But we have to 
preach on them as the Bible touches on them and to be careful. If you only want to hear about how loving God is, then he is, he's never a God of justice. If you want to hear only about how Christians are supposed to embrace a culture and not be afraid of it, to be in the world and not of it. If you want to hear about how doctrine is not really all, the, all that important, but loving one another is all that matters, then stay put. And hear the word of God as it is preached expositionally. One of the reasons why preaching through a book is so important. And, and at, at times there are seasons where you might do topics, but you resist the urge to go to your own pet ideas as a preacher, and you will train folks to listen to the word of God and then amazingly see how relevant it is to even their pet ideas. Be careful. Don't run off too quickly. And Dennis, be patient. Fruit of the Spirit. Finally, by teaching. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word with teaching. Now, this is something that is controversial, and we know that there are preachers whose whose, whose, whose preaching is mostly teaching and preachers whose, whose preaching is mostly exhortation. But he says it must be preaching and teaching mixed together. Uh, the, the proclaiming and explaining the meaning of the, of the text, teaching so that we might understand the grace of God. It's not a spiritual pep talk. It's not a pat on the back and saying, okay, yeah, get out there like a coach does. It is the preaching of the word, the unfolding of the word. That is why you must be committed to expositional preaching. Preaching that is driven by unfolding a text, proclaiming its meaning verse by verse. The preacher is to preach to teach understanding because it is the understanding of the scripture. Again, as I quote Brian Chapel, he said, how do you know you've been faithful? I can't change someone's heart, but the word can. But if they don't understand the word, how will the word change their heart? He says, you have been faithful to the text when you know a person walks out of that, that sanctuary and says, I understand this text better than when I came here. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's academic and mental. Oh, now that I understand. Because if there is understanding of the text, there is a, an opening of the heart. True understanding, or as Calvin says, that which doesn't merely flit in the head, but is joined in the heart. Dennis, I have so much more to say, but I'm going to close with this quote from John Piper, because I think it ties all of these things together. And it sums up why it is that Paul says what he does in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What? The word there, sober-minded, is in the NIV translated, keep your head. I love that. Keep your head. How do you keep your head? Basically by realizing that the work you're doing is fulfilling the call that you've been given. As an evangelist and as a preacher of the gospel of the grace of God. And so you herald these things in all the manner he's just said. Keep your head realizing that what you're doing is a holy awesome reality that brings God's grace and kingdom down to earth in a powerful, death-defying, life-giving way. Even if everyone listening looks like they're dead, God's work is being done in his word by the herald. Listen to what Piper says. He preached this at another pastor's installation in the 90s. Preaching, he says, is not just explaining or teaching. 
Preaching is heralding. It's different. Preaching is what a town crier does when there is a message from the king. God exists to be worshipped, to be admired and treasured and desired and praised. Well, you can tell that's Piper, can't you? Therefore, the word of God is written primarily to produce worship. This means that if the word is handled like a hot dish recipe or a repair manual, it is mishandled and the people will suffer. The truth of God begs to be handled with exaltation and our hearts yearn for this and need it. Something in us starts to die when precious and infinitely valuable realities are handled without feelings and words of wonder and exaltation. That is, a church starts to die without preaching. But of course, this assumes something massive. To treasure the truth and to love the truth and be impassioned about the truth and to exult in the truth, you have to know the truth. So it's not enough to say that preaching is exaltation. We must also say it is expository exaltation. It is exaltation in the truth of God's word. And the exaltation is in proportion to the truth delivered. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. This too is part of preaching. Preaching is handling accurately the word of truth. In other words, you can never twist or exploit the word in order to increase the emotional response of the people. Preaching is not exaltation without exposition of the word, nor is preaching exposition of the word without exaltation. One error cuts off the head, the other rips out the heart. In both cases, the victim dies. No heart, no head, you're dead. And so is preaching, and not long after the church. There are many, many, many good things that Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church has done and will do, but they will never rise above the importance of the preaching of the word. It must inform those wonderful things we do so that they don't simply become social projects, fellowship times that make us feel warm and fuzzy, but they become the reality of us engaging in the very kingdom that is coming and will come and of the Lord who will come and call us into his presence and say, not guilty. And of the God who receives us into his presence because his word hit its mark as he sent it to do. By the preaching of the herald. Preach the word. And receive the word preached with all humility and joy. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your design and your doing, and we say things that ultimately are just squeaks. But you take those squeaks and the feebleness of what we say because in it we are presenting your word, and you will make the ministry of this church thrive and flourish, not as the world sees flourishing, but as you see flourishing, even in the midst of difficulty, because the word will be preached. And all these realities that are, which found the profundity of what happens here, are realized when that word is preached and believed and will be fulfilled at the coming of Christ. And so now and looking to then, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly 
as this word is preached and do your work, we ask. We plead and we exalt in the assurance it will be in Jesus' name. Amen.